recording. I want to show you this though. Okay. Now that I'm on your Wi-Fi, I found something. I guarantee so, I know what it is. For everyone watching or listening or whatever, like I'm with Greg Koberger, founder, CEO, readme.com. Pretty stoked that you guys got that domain name. And we're in the Readme office. Yes, we are. Readme HQ. Yeah. One of two. One of two offices. You have two offices? Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to find this video. I'm going to just play this here. Hey. Have you seen this since? No. I watched this the other day. So what this is, is this is the video of us attempting to get into Y Combinator for DocHub, which eventually is now, I guess, read me. I'm just going to play it. I uh, Zuckerberg'd Matt. I used the Winklevoss in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a twin, though. Oh, I was so young. Yeah, we were much so skinnier. So full of hope. Look at me. <laughs> I even dressed up. You look like your son. Hey, I'm Gary Kober. I am a product manager and former web developer at Mozilla. I'm Matt Gardner. I uh, used to work at Apple and now I write web software. Cringe. Yeah, we used to go to college together, so that's how we know each other. Yeah. So uh, basically the problem we're trying to solve is we're trying to make documentation better. And we're trying to make it easier for people to create documentation for their web mobile uh, sites. Yeah. Like if you look at the YC companies that are currently active, about half have a separate site for documentation. And they either generate it, still true, Docs, Java yeah. Docs, and that's kind Probably of that. it's not really all that helpful to users. Um, they use wikis, which is a little bit better, but still doesn't really work for documentation. It's not made for documentation. Yeah. And uh, or they have a custom site, which is just a ton of time, and only big sites can actually do that. So we kind of want to take the best of both three. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of friends, and we make a lot of our own websites and web services. And a lot of friends. You had a break. Yeah, friends. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm lying. For, um, you know, one of the problems we notice is there's not a lot of version control. Um, and it's hard to make documentation, it's hard to make it useful. So we're trying to solve that problem. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was good. Wow, we nailed that. Um, oh no. You were like, wow, that was good, yeah. Well, that wasn't <laughs> our first take. <laughs> that was probably our 48th take. Yeah, I don't know. We, we did a few of them and then we kept messing up. It was also during RAT 48. That makes sense. So, so you were living, where were you living at that point then? I was still in college. <laughs> That's right, you're young. I, I remember the first, when you called me, I yeah. was in the car. I was. It was nighttime. I don't know where I was driving from. Yeah. But I had just gotten a, like a car phone thing, like a, you mm-hmm. could like Bluetooth mm-hmm. in the car, and I was like, "This is sick." Mm-hmm. And you called me. I was like, "Oh, sweet! I can hit the button and answer it." And then you were like, "Hey, I got this idea. Like, do you want to do this thing with me?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I so I got into YC eventually, obviously, but not obviously. Sorry, I got into YC. Wow, eventually. burn. Obviously, once I ditched Matt. <laughs> no, I got to see eventually, but like that was one of the worst days of my life was when we were waiting. So we we got like we signed up for we got an interview Matt and I did and we it was like eight AM the interview was and it's like ten minutes long. And like they don't tell you to that night. So like we just like that was the worst day of my life. We were just like nervous the entire day. Yeah. I think I think episode two or three we talked about this, but okay. but no, you're right. And like we tried <laughs> So the way it works, and I mentioned this before, if you get an email, it's bad. If you get a phone call, it's good. And it's the waiting period that's actually the worst. Yep. And we were like, what do we do? How do we kill this time? Like, we tried going on roller coasters. The park was closed. We yep. tried to get massages. They were booked up. We tried no, to- we got the massage. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, so the massage was booked oh. up. You're right. But then we, you found this weird- The foot so, massage place. Yeah, it was so weird. It okay. was like, just like, it was just people sitting in chairs next to each other. It was like a leg massage place. If you've ever seen I like, like Rush Hour. Yeah. It was. It's like that. I hate massages, but like it was something to do, and I couldn't be on my phone, so that was a good thing. For, well, you got like, your mind hour. off of it. Yeah, exactly. So when I did get in, same thing happened, and I went to a bar right away. I went to Molly McGee's. We uh, eventually like, went. Didn't? Isn't that where we I went? Think so probably. That's where I. That's where I go to get good or bad news. And like I, when I found out, so they called me in the bathroom, and like because I, I was in the bathroom, and they called, and I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh my god, if I don't pick up now, they're gonna like not call back. Like I knew what it was, so I like picked it up in the bathroom, which was weird. So I picked up in the bathroom, and like. My nose started to bleed. That's how fucking stressful it was. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear, but I was my nose started to bleed. Like in what? the bathroom. I've never what? had it happen before or after. My nose just started to like gush blood. I was so stressed out like that time. So apply to YC, it'll make your nose bleed? Yeah, something like that. Is that so then I don't think you know this story. So the next day I'm out to dinner to kind of celebrate because we got in and like Matt said they call if you get in, they email you a rejection if you don't get it. And like the nice thing about YC is they actually give you a really good rejection. Like they don't just say like it's not an automated one, like it's a real person who messaged you and is like really like empathetic and nice about it. But anyway, so I got a phone call when I actually got in. So I went to dinner the next night to like celebrate and I get a phone call and I know what the number is because the same number as the day before. So I pick it up and it's Michael Seibel and he's like, hey, is this Greg Koberger from Readme? I was like, yeah. And he's like, a mistake. He's like, I'm so, yeah, he did. He's like, I, he said, I'm so sorry. This has never happened before. We Wait, made a what? mistake and I just really want to apologize. And I'm like, 
oh no, this is an April Fool's. So he's like, he's going, he's like, I'm, this has never happened before. Like we have new software. Like this is we've never made this mistake before. I'm so incredibly sorry. And I'm like, oh okay. And then he goes, well, congratulations, you're NYC. And I'm like, I know. And he's like, what do you mean you know? And I was like. You guys called me last night. He's like, oh, thank God. So he was apologizing because he thought he didn't call us back. So he was apologizing because he thought he just never got back to us and we had gotten in. But like their new system, he had marked down that he had called us. And I'm thinking, because I remember, obviously I remember that he called us to let us in. I'm thinking he's calling to like revoke it. Oh. <laughs> so we, like he was apologizing because he was like, if I, if I, if, if it was true that he did not call me, then the apology would have been like, yeah, I'm so sorry. We like didn't get back to you. But he didn't say that explicitly. He was just like, I'm so sorry. This never happened before. Has YC revoked acceptances? I don't know. I doubt it. Like, it's just for, like, I just, that's what was going through my head. is like, why? It's like so little money for them for like the bad, like bad press, press even. So like, yeah, I don't think they ever have. Um, but I don't know. Like maybe something's changed. Maybe, or like maybe like things change. I don't know. Like I'm sure there's situations where they would, but it would have to be a pretty high bar. I think it would have to be like, it wouldn't just be like, oh, we've changed our mind. It would have to be like, like yeah. oh, we found out this really bad thing about this person type thing. Because they've only like kicked like three or four people out ever and like every single one deserved it. Yeah. But well, yeah. they do that in colleges if you lie on your application. Yeah, I could see them like that maybe, but like even then, they don't research you. So how would they even know that? Like you'd have to like very blatantly lie because like they don't like, it's 10 minutes and you get in and they just move on and like, yeah, I don't know. So I don't think so, but yeah, I don't really know. Interesting. I actually know. I'm pretty sure they would because they're really big on not pulling term sheets. And like, that's one of their biggest things that they like. One of the bit reasons to do YC is because they get really mad if a VC pulls a term sheet. Um, and like one of the nice things about being YC is like kind of like a weird, like, you know, not that entrepreneurs need a union, but it's kind of like a, like a weird, like union type thing where it's like, no one will pull a term sheet on, for most part, won't ter- pull a term sheet on a YC company because, like, you don't want to get on YC's bad side. So, for those, a union or a mafia, depending on how you want to look at it. But so, for, so for those of the listeners that don't know or aren't, like, entrepreneurs or in the startup world, what's a term sheet? Oh, yeah. Term sheet is, so when you go to raise money, you'll pitch the company with, like, however you end up doing it. You pitch the VC, and, like, it's usually one or two or three meetings. And usually they, it's, like, a partner or an associate, and then they like layer on more and more people and you're kind of repitching and repitching. And finally, like every VC firm has a different way of doing it, but every VC firm gives you a term sheet at the end. And basically it's a agreement that kind of covers everything. So it's basically the contract that you would sign in order to accept money from them. So a term sheet will have like terms, obviously. So it'll talk about the, how much equity they're getting. Some like a lot of weird rules. Like just to make sure. So a clean term sheet is basically just, we'll give you X dollars for Y number of shares. Um, and it's called a clean term sheet, which means there's not a lot of like stuff. Now there's like less clean term sheets, which you know they can make any rules they want. So like there's things like liquidation preferences that can go into it. And liquidation preferences like VCs get to take out, you know, before anyone else gets money, they get to take out like two X. And what eventually happened is you sell your company or your IPO, and you have to like start turning, converting all the equity and these like you know promises into like real money. You have to start doing the math. So it's like okay, so this term sheet gets precedence over this one because it came first, or this one came second, or it overrides this one, and like. Or like, you know, then you have employee contracts and employees of equity as well. And that's not term sheet, but they have like equity. So like that all kind of goes together. And like, it's this gigantic math problem where you kind of figure out like, okay, because it's not just like, like you think like, okay, like I own 5% of the company, you own 5% of the company. We both get the same thing, but that's not really true. Because if you have liquidation preference, which if you have leverage, you can get a liquidation preference. It means like, let's say we sell the company for you know, X number of dollars and you have a certain amount that you served, like you can get money out. So there's a lot of times where like employees or founders get zero dollars because the VCs have enough liquidation preference and stuff like that. So anyway, that's what term sheet is. So we've been really lucky that I've never gotten a bad term sheet. Like it's always been pretty good. But the problem with a pulled term sheet, pulled term sheet just means like the, the VC is like, never mind, just kidding. Before you sign it is that, I mean, people have been doing a lot of pulled term sheets when like the past few years when like COVID happened and then recently like as the recession started to happen more and more people have been pulling term sheets and seen as very like not a good business practice obviously like it's very like you know it's, it's like it's also like pulling like, a contract for I mean if you like you know an employment contract like you know you sign the contract and it's like just kidding it's just seen as like really bad you know bad business but unless of course like you said if it's like like true fraud then like no one's gonna be mad at if you see a firm necessarily for pulling a term sheet a lot of people are just doing it because like you know, the market changes a little bit. But the problem is, like, if you pull a term sheet, it's like people are, like, so, like, if you, if you sign a term sheet, then all of a sudden it's, like, you turn down your other VCs that have offered you money, and you're, like, okay, I'm going to commit to this one. And then there's always a little bit of diligence after the term sheet, by the way. But, you know, there shouldn't be any lying or anything. So, like, by that point, the diligence should be purely diligence, not, you know, anything anything significant. But um, it means that you're already planning on the money. You've turned down other VCs, and you're planning on the money, and, like, you start, like, hiring or making decisions based on the money. So, like, pulling a term sheet's pretty bad because, like, 
all of a sudden you have to tell then it trickles down. They have to tell your employees like, oh, just kidding. I literally can't afford you because the term sheet didn't go through and stuff like that. So anyway, that's uh, you asked me right before this, uh, and I was like, what's it like to run a company? And I was like, I probably work like just raw, like less, I like write less code or like, you know, spend less time sending emails, stuff like that than like previous jobs. But like, that's the like 2 a.m. Pan- not that just specifically, but stuff like that. It's like the 2 a.m. panic attacks that, that replace the uh, raw output of work. So, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what else? Uh, well, this is like therapy. Do you do you take my insurance or is there a copay? Yeah, where's the the chaise lounge? The lay down and yeah. Tell me, what does that what does that actually mean? No. <laughs> so what else is new? What's what's new with Readme? What's uh, for those who don't know, Readme is sort of alluded to in the the doc hub video for YC. But why don't you explain what Readme is and what's new? Yeah, so we do API documentation. So APIs, I think most people know an API is for listening to this podcast, but an API is a basically central application programming interface, but it's how different companies or products connect. So if you ever go to a website and you see like data from a different company, so like you, you know, go to a hotel website and you get a hotel and then at the end it's like, would you like to get a car as well from this different company? Like there's an API powering that. It's a way to like share data. It's a way to like, if you ever get a text message, they're probably using Twilio's API, stuff like that. So most companies at this point are built on a bunch of cobbled together APIs that do like discrete business functions or data or whatever else. Um, and what we do is we build the documentation for the developers who have to implement it. So like as of now, it's a place a developer to implement stuff and to make it to make it all happen. And what we do is we make it easy for developers to learn how to use an API because each API is like different like parameters you send in and values and stuff like that. I'm kind of trying to oscillate between like using the technical terms and also, you know, more more noob noob terms to fit the podcast. But so what we do is the API documentation. There's numerous kinds of APIs. There's like public APIs, there's private APIs, like internal microservices. But the entire, you know, most of infrastructure when it comes to, to, API, uh, to software, there's just a tons of APIs, whether it's like public API that you pay for, free public API, private internal ones. Anytime an iPhone app talks to a server someplace, like it goes over an API, things like that so that's what readme does what is new with us let's see i think like features you'd care about or anything like that went to github universe today you saw that that was nice we got to spend a lot of money for a half hour booth but it was really good we got to talk to a bunch of people one thing i've loved about readme is like i've been doing this for six or seven years at this point seven or eight years it's been a while and pre-covid so it's like what four years ago people like knew us and liked us enough and like i'll go to conferences like people would kind of be like oh i know readme or something like that and then like didn't do anything for two and a half years because of COVID. And like now when I go to events, like people like know Readme and like super excited. And it's so cool. Like like pri- like prior to COVID, people like, eh, yeah, I've heard of Readme. Or like, is that that thing? And it's like, eh, yeah, sure. But now it's like people like, we have customers everywhere. People use us. People like us. Like, it's really cool. So I've been really liking this like post-COVID going to events thing because people, people know Readme now. So it's nice. It's really validating, huh? Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, that's not why I do it. I don't really care if people know no. Readme. But it is, I mean, so when we did, so... Back when we like first started talking about this, like when I, I did raise money, so we got into YC, and YC gives you $120,000, which seems like a lot of money. And uh, now it's like six hundred, but like back then it was $120,000, and that seems like a lot of money, but like that's not a lot of money at all. So you have to go raise money, and like we raised $1.2 million, which also seems like a ton of money. I was like, it's $1.2 million. It's more than I could ever use ever. But it's really that, you know, that goes away pretty quickly, but you need to raise money. And so like when I first was pitching people, every single conversation was like, they're like, okay, what's an API? So like you spend the first, you get like a half hour, an hour, whatever it is. And like, I spent all my time not talking about Readme and why Readme is cool or what was exciting about, but like just trying to explain to VCs like what an API even was and like, and and they're like, because like to them, like, so VCs are, are fascinating because they're, they're, they tend to be very curious people. Because if you just care about just like money and numbers, like you go into a hedge fund or you go into a growth fund or stuff like that, like you're not doing like seed stage VCs. Like the seed stage VCs are really fascinating because they are really interested. Like they do love learning. It's one of those things where like, yeah, sure, anyone now knows that like Figma is going to be worth, you know, a trillion dollars or whatever. But like, or not anymore, I guess, because they sold. But like, you know, when you first get like the first person like that saw Figma and like, you know, they're like, we're going to do Photoshop for the, in the browser. And it's like, well, that's never going to work because like, it's too, going to be too slow, too clunky. Like, why would everyone want it? Like they spend all their time in it. Like they're, you know, very happy to like download an app. You have to fight against Adobe, which is gigantic. Like it makes, you know, it's so that you can't be a good seed investor without being like super curious. And I mean, you can, but like for the most part, you really can't. You have to like, you know, be open to new ideas because you're taking chances on things that aren't proven. And like, there's some seed investors who are like, you're just like, I'm like this, but you get to invest in it. And like, that's also a decent strategy. It's like, you know, I'm like, we just went to GitHub, which I'm thinking this, like, it's like, I'm like GitHub, but you know, five years later, which means that you can invest in it at a cheap price. And they're like, okay, GitHub's big. Like I get that. Like I'll invest in it. But uh, for the most part, like they're very curious. Like, 
But I would spend most of the time like just explaining like why APIs are important. So you get to the end and you'd be like, you want to invest? And like, uh, we did really well. Like a lot of people do invest, but a lot of times they're like, you know, you didn't get to the point where you're explaining why Readme's cool. They're just like, oh, cool, APIs are cool. I like that idea, like APIs. And like you're like, but I didn't tell you about my company. Then the second time, like we we raised when we did a Series A. I'm not big on raising money, so we raise money very very infrequently. Like when we not necessarily need it, but when we like want it. So when I raised like a Series A, it was so weird because everything had completely changed. Like in 2019, we raised our Series A, and like everyone knew exactly what API was, and like it wasn't like I didn't once have to like because I kind of went in and be like, oh, I know what this is like, and I was ready to talk about like what API is and why it's gonna be important. And I was like, nah, nah, like we know, like just move on. Tell us like why, why you're exciting, and that was really cool to watch, like just the shift and like you know back when like we were talking about Dotcom, it was like I don't know what like GitHub was kind of big, but it was like GitHub has like eight hundred thousand users at that point. Like it's like that it was huge for a dev tool. Like it's not, it wasn't like. A lucrative market like maybe you could say like Microsoft had some cool like you know back then like .NET stuff but like everything was like free and open source and there wasn't like any examples like I remember like you know really loving Twilio for example and like Stripe had just opened up but like I don't know it's it's but they weren't huge like obviously these names I'm saying now like Stripe and Twilio are huge now but like Twilio was like you know 12 people at the time like it was super tiny and like it was it was cool and I would have loved to have like worked there, but it wasn't like it was like this is a good business. And like now it's not that's completely that true. Like now APIs are a gigantic business and there's no doubt in my mind. But yeah, it was it was an uphill battle early on because like no one people like even people who knew about it like knew it dev like knew about dev tools like understood APIs like they're like yeah that's cool, but it's not a lot of money in it. So I don't know. It's it's tough. And that's why like I, I'm not a huge huge fan of raising money is because I just never know. Like I was always like always afraid because like we're always a little bit ahead of our time. I think and yeah. So I don't know. So like <clears throat> if you were to start over again, and I remember when I actually found the Dockhub website, it was still up. And if you look at the Dockhub website, it says uh, like we like I, I think you made unsolicited documentation for some company, like Scribd or I can't remember yeah. what it was. Yeah. And I'm curious if you were if you were to start again today, yeah. and no one knows Readme, yeah. right? And somehow you, you got you know you're not even .com. You're like readme.io or .app or dot, mm-hmm. you know whatever you know .dev the documentation website .com or something, right? No one knows about you. Mm-hmm. How would you get people excited about it? Like how how would you get the word out? Would you do the same approach? Like make unsolicited documentation and like no, show to them? That that didn't work at the time. It's, that's <laughs> that's never worked for us. Every once in a while I'll go through a burst where I'll be like, yeah, let's like build a docs for people. And like, it's hard because I just don't really value it, which is totally fine. Like, it's just like, they're like, oh, it looks nice, but like whatever. Like, that's not how you sell to a company. Like I always like thought that would be. And like you always hear stories about like, and these stories are true, but it's like, you know, the Carlson brothers like launched Stripe by like going to everyone's office that would use it and like sitting down next to their engineer. And like, I don't know. I think like, I believe that story is true, of course. I just think it's more of a myth is like, especially now, like maybe 15 years ago, that's how it worked. But like now no company is like letting someone come in and like, you know, write code that's not part of the company. Like that's just not a thing. Like if, if someone messaged, emailed me right now, I was like, hey, I got this new product. Like I'll come to your office and like write code. I'd be like, no, that's weird. <laughs> like definitely not. But yeah, like, so I mean, what I did differently, so I had like, I knew I wanted to make APIs easier to use. That's what I cared about. And I had a bunch of different like ideas. Like there was Dockhub, which was, you know, became readme, but looked very different, like similar, but very different. One called Hook, I was very similar. Like, I was trying to find that exact thing. And I always talk to people about it. And and like, there's, YC has this like, or Paul Graham, who started YC, has, or one of the founders of YC, has this, has this blog post where he talks about this concept of like sitcom startups. And a sitcom startup, his definition is, if you were to write, if you're in a writer's room for a TV show and you want to you know, this character is a entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. And like, you have to come up with an idea that's plausible enough that people would be like, oh yeah, okay, sure. Matt's a, that, that company sounds right. Cause like, you don't take people out of the sitcom. It's like, yeah, that sounds right. Like that's a good enough idea. But like, his point is like, there's a lot of ideas though, like that, that like sound good enough. That they pass the, like, it could be in a sitcom, but like no one actually wants it. And the, the example they use is like a social network for pets. And like, you go to a bunch of people like, Hey, you love your dog, right? Like, would you use social network for pets? And like, you're like, yeah, I totally use that. But then when it comes time, like you build it and like it comes time to be like, okay, Matt, sign up. It's like, you'll, you'll sign up because you're my friend. So you'll sign up for it. And then like, then I'll be like, hey, Matt, like your dog hasn't posted in a few weeks. And you'll be like, fine. And you'll post like one post just to make me happy. And it's like, that's kind of the point. It's like, it's one of those, like there's a lot of startups out there that's like a lot of ideas out there where it's like, it sounds like a good enough idea. Like 
I could convince you the pet startup idea is a really good idea because like, hey, look at Instagram. So many people have like, you know, Instagram accounts for their dogs and cats. Like, but it's not made for that, right? Like, it's why would you post it on like, you know, Instagrams for humans? Like, think of all the cool stuff you do if like you like pot or stuff like that. And then, and then we also know, by the way, that like everyone on there is a pet. So we can sell to advertisers, right? So like, you know, and like you can like make that case. But like if no one actually uses it, like, you know, it rounds down to zero and you end up with zero customers. If everyone's like a maybe or a no. So what I'm going with this is that Early on, I would tell people about it. They'd be like, yeah, that's cool. I really like that. And I'd like play around with it and all that. And like, it feels good to have someone say like, yeah, I'd use that. But then something shifted. Like I kept like talking about it and like, you know, shifting around my ideas. And like it started to shift where people were like, oh, when can I, when can I use that? And that's where it gets really cool. Cause like I, I noticed a flip instantly, like the way people like respond to me, like, and not that I was ever lying to myself, but like I was always like, yeah, I guess I kind of want it. And like I like shifted how I was talking about it and like what what features were important and what features weren't and stuff like that. And like one day people just all of a sudden started being like, yeah, like can I set up now? And I'm like, no, no, like it's not ready yet. And like and like one point, like I, I like you know I did let people start using it and like now people are using it. And like one person like Venmoed me money because I didn't have a I didn't set up billing yet. And like also and like he didn't Venmo me for any reason. Other than he's like, you know, you should be charging for this. And like I just want you to know like. Like, this is what I want. Like, I just want to, like, give you money. Like, that's when I quit all my... I was doing freelancing at the time. That's when I quit my freelancing jobs. Like, okay, I'm going to do it full-time. And, like, it wasn't really the question you asked. I know that. But, like, I think it doesn't really matter what you do for marketing stuff if the idea is not kind of exactly where it should be. But you had, like... You were doing something at Buoyancy years ago, right? Oh, yeah. How did that... I always mean, I wondered, like, what that... How, I mean, clearly it didn't work out that well. Because, like, um, what was it? How did that work? So there's a couple other, like... There's a couple entrepreneurs out there that have like these lists of all the things that they've done and like uh-huh. what the status of it. I need to make one of those. Oh yeah, yeah, boy, yeah. I, I just abandoned it. Yeah, like I, the idea behind buoyancy was to test if your idea, test if your idea floats. Yep. And yeah, I don't know. Like I spent more money like paying for the domain name every year than I did working. Like like would have been working on it, yeah. right? And eventually, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it go. I gotta let it go. But that was the idea, and so it was sort of like. It was like analytics and loosely borrowed from the idea of Buffer, how Buffer started. Mm-hmm. So they put up like a home page, a landing page, and there's a few clicks you could do, and you could see pricing. And it was like, this sounds great. I want to go and buy this. Mm-hmm. And then you go to buy it, and it's like, and you think it's real, and it's like a couple different pricing plans. You click buy and sign up, and they give them your email, and then you, they say like, hey, we're not quite ready for you yet, but you know, but we'll let you know when we are ready. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to like build up that as like a product. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a bit more to it, like, how long did it take you to click between mm-hmm. screens? What are the different screens? Can you do it from your phone, like, in a bar when you have yeah. an idea one night? I never really got, I never really took it too much, too far, right? I never built it out. Yeah. I got busy with other stuff, and I needed to make money because I started that idea in college, and I was, like, broke college kids. Yep. So. I mean, you also, you can't have a business where you're selling to people who are also broke and just have ideas. So it's not the best early business. Yeah, true. Do you remember true. Uh, Launch Rock? I remember Launch Rock a little bit. Launch Rock, yeah. I do. Actually, it was similar. similar. Are they still around? I just Googled it. Yeah, they got bought by startups.com, I guess. But What is startups.com? I have no clue. But mm. startups.com, it's just like a roll-up where they just like buy a bunch of like stuff. But like, uh. yeah, because I remember like back in college, it would be like, yeah, like <laughs> it made it so easy just to like launch something that looked kind of nice. And you'd be like, and you, you talk to the domain and you could like get people to sign up. And like, yeah. I never got any sign-ups, but it was like a, a cheap way. I mean, I think the hard part about those are like, I don't know. It's, it's it's such a hard balance because you have to find that conviction, though. Like, I don't. It's because it's it's a, it's like a chicken and egg problem, which is like you know what what number of people clicking like the pricing page is going to like actually convince you to spend yeah. the next like um, two, let's say two months for a really really simple MVP. Um, oh, I got a question for you actually. What do you <laughs> believe? So I think there's like there's a lot of schools. Of thought, that's a deep like, that's a deep question. Yeah. What do you believe? I like, just <laughs> general. So. There's like, like a lot of startups raise a bunch of money and spend like three years in development and launch something like Superhuman, for example, where it's yeah. like it comes out and it's polished. And other people are like, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your V1, then you've taken too long to ship. Like, do you follow either direction on those or where do you feel on those? You get a lot of surprise and wow factor with the former, with the, the Superhuman approach. Like we're going to go into secret. Yeah. Build something for three years. You need a lot of money to do that unless like, it's hard to do by yourself. You can't do it unless you already have a success as a founder, I think. You think? Well, like, okay, like, look at, like, like Mighty did it, but that was, like, the founder did Mixpanel before that, so everyone knew who he was. Rahul from Superhuman did a uh, report, report of? But, like, the Gmail plugin. Yeah. And, like, in the same space. Like, where are some other ones that, like, Figma? Figma, I think, did that, right? Maybe not, but I think Figma did, like... I don't know. There was a pretty big... Like, Figma wasn't, like, an MVP. Figma came out pretty good, but, like... I don't know what Dylan did before this, but I think 
I don't know. Apple does this, yeah. right? And obviously they have infinite money. Yeah. They can do whatever they want, but you get that surprise and that wow factor. Yeah. But, and that's great, but I don't know if, I, I, my approach is not doing that. Mm-hmm. So like I've been building this thing called Pickle for years mm-hmm. and I originally like, I've made so many mistakes. Like I was like, oh, I'm gonna build this personal CRM thing and then I'm gonna sell it to other people and I'm gonna sell it to realtors. And I got really into that. I started going to real estate conventions. I would go to open houses and like, <laughs> and like harass the realtor who was working the open <laughs> house. I started building like extra apps around There's it. People are trying to sell a house and you're like, no, I can do one better. Yeah, I could do one better. Check this out. And like, I, I thought I understood real estate. I know nothing about it. Like it's yeah. totally different, like trying to sell to a realtor than it is trying to build for myself. And that's why I've been, I've been re I've rebuilt mm-hmm. it for myself. And for me, it's useful. And if other people want to use it, that's cool. Yep. But well, that's the thing too, though, is like you said before, like, you know, just to like build it out for people. It's like, no, people are just busy and no one wants you to like, yeah. you can put the work in, but like no one wants that. No one wants to like, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, I can start a restaurant startup. I just like, I can see 30 restaurants around here and you go in like the restaurant owner's like, please leave me alone. Oh, dude. I don't want to do this. You know, that was like my first actual startup. Did you do a menu thing or something? When I was 14 or, or so, mm-hmm. I hacked together this PHP thing. Mm-hmm. So my dad owned a restaurant and this restaurant, like you had a website with a menu. And back then like restaurant websites were absolute garbage they were either flash or they didn't exist or they, they didn't work on mobile mm-hmm. and then finally like you couldn't get any of the information that you wanted like what you want about a restaurant is are open what time the kitchen's open till how to make a reservation or contact them and see yeah. like do they have specials that sort of stuff. exactly but they would all be like look at these beautiful like you're like lost yeah so i built this thing and it would let you the person behind the bar would be able to set the specials. They would be able to print them out in a nice format. Mm-hmm. They would be updated on the website at the same time. The contact info was there. It worked on mobile. Mm-hmm. And when I meant mobile then, it wasn't iPhones. Mm-hmm. It was like Blackberry and like Palm Pilot things and, and like the Windows CE or whatever, Windows phone, like, which is basically a Palm Pilot. And so that was, I went door to door trying to get to restaurants to buy it. Yeah. And not a single, like maybe one or two did, but not anyone really cared. They're yeah. like, we don't have money for this. Yeah. We don't care. Yeah. People still show up. Right. And the last thing that they're going to do when people aren't showing up is like give this 15 year old kid a bunch of money to like for this <laughs> yeah. like web app thing yeah. before web app was a term. Yeah. No one cared. It's, I did sell it though. Yeah. Hey. Oh, like you sold the company like as a company? It wasn't a real company. I sold the product to the guy. Ah, so that's where, that's where you got your millions from. I, yeah. I knew that had to be someplace. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was driving a Ford Explorer around. <laughs> no, it, that was like rusting through the floor. Perfect. You ever, oh, you're, you're humble like Warren Buffett. You just didn't want did to sh- show off your money. I get <laughs> it. Did I ever tell you the story of how I got pulled over by cop the first no. time in that car? Okay. So I told you it was rusting through the floor. I got pulled over by cop and I couldn't find my wallet anywhere. And I was kind of nervous because I'd never been pulled over before. I was, mm-hmm. I was going like 40 on a 35. Like, I don't know. It was Christmas Eve. And I'm like, can I get out of the car to look for my wallet? Because like, mm-hmm. the only interface I had with cops was like, I, my friend's dad was a cop and then like the show Cops. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yep, yeah, I don't want to go to like, I don't, I don't want to be on this TV show, right? Yeah. So he said, yeah. So I look, I, I'm like, okay, I get out of the no, car. I, the show Cops notoriously was about teenagers who were going a little bit, <laughs> a little bit over on Christmas Eve. It, yeah. was, it was a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, yeah. It was great. 17 year olds and like whatever, you know. Yeah. No, so <laughs> long story short. You're from? He's got his flashlight out because it's nighttime and he's looking yeah. around because I can't find my wallet. And he says to me before I could find my wallet, he could see like how like the seatbelt thing like that attaches to the floor was rusting and everything was like rusting in the car. He said, is this car safe to drive? And I was just like, <laughs> it's my only car, man. <laughs> Didn't your family own the Yankees? What's going me, on here? He, he gave me a warning. He gave me a warning. Yeah. But that was pretty fun. Anyways. Yeah. Going back to the original topic. Oh, like, yeah. I just also you said like building for yourself and like it's really tough because I think that hard to do though. Okay. So if you're in an industry, it's really hard to build for the industry because like you have so like I always have this like concept of like intentional ignorance, I call it, which is like, I don't want to know what our competitors up to. I don't want to know what already exists because like there's something like I know a little bit about, of course, like, and of course I actually know a lot at this point, but like, it's just, it's so easy to like, to, to. To, to fall into like the fallacy of like, oh, it can't be done because so-and-so tried it. Like the whole problem is like, if you ever like have an idea, by the way, every idea has been done, not well and, and all that, but like, you'll be like, oh, I want to do like X. And like, then what you do is you get like a bunch of VCs who are like, oh, so-and-so tried this two years ago and like it didn't work and here's why it didn't work. And like, you start to get very discouraged or you start to be like, oh, this company already did it. So like, okay, let's say I want to like launch like a, a Photoshop competitor, for example. Like you probably go and you look at Photoshop and you're like, I'm going to copy all these tools. And it's like, is that the right way to do it? Like, I'm blown away like the Figma some of the features they have I'm like I just didn't think like I would have done that like that's insane or like and like this intentional ignorance is like it's tough because like you can't go too far the opposite way you can't like know nothing because then you're just like 
you know, it's like people who don't learn history or fail to repeat it. Like you, you need to know enough, but if you know too much, then you either get too afraid or you get too like locked into like, oh, this is how it's done. And then there's like some crazy ones, which, you know, I, I don't advocate for or not, but like a lot of progress is made by like breaking the rules intentionally. Like you look at Uber and like Uber was utterly illegal for a long time. Like do you remember like the first in San Francisco, like Uber cars were just getting pulled over all the time. And, like people, like, and like they pushed through it and like that went well for them, but they got like benefits, which also pushed through healthcare regulations because they're selling cross state lines, and that did not go well for them. And like, it's always hard to find. But anyway, so like, there's this like intentional ignorance that I think is like really fascinating, where you you just have to know enough, but not too much, and it's hard to find that balance. Because you know, like for a bit before I started at Readme, I was like working on construction software, and I wasn't the founder, but I was one of like the people on the team. I was like a junior founder or whatever, and junior founder. It was a thing. I don't know. It was like, it was one of the PayPal founders started a new company. And uh, so he was like, they had like, I guess PayPal did this as well, where there's like two tiers of founders. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> it's, it's, it's employees that make absolutely no money that, but they like, like you're a founder though. Put it on your LinkedIn. Yeah. So I, it's not on my LinkedIn. Trust me. I'm not going to say which founder it was, but not a lot of, not a lot of, not a lot of PayPal mafia people are getting good press these days. So but yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was one of the PayPal mafia people. You but tweet that. That's yeah on Elon's site now. Um, no, I think I'm gonna get a pass on that. I'm gonna keep that one to myself. But anyway, so I was working on it, and like one of the things that was like really interesting was like I'm a construction person. He's like, here's the weird. Again, we never really did anything. Like I was never into this idea because and like, but this is what made me realize like I don't want to be doing this. Is like we're talking to this, uh, this guy who does construction. He's like, yeah, people try to sell construction software all the time. And he's like, one well, of the weirdest thing about construction software is he's like, every single one you cre- you like you create a new project or whatever, like a new like construction project and you click create a new project and every single time he's like every single time a tech person comes to me the first thing is like enter the address and he's like we don't have an address because we're like construction people we're building the thing and he's like he's like and like he's like that's my like like my like litmus test he's like if they ask for an address like up front it's like they clearly have no clue what they're doing they don't get it yeah yeah and i always thought that was like such a like that stuck with me like not about construction i don't care about that person or that's not what stuck with me but what stuck with me was like this concept of like Okay, you can't like yet like you can't go too, if you're too into construction, then you just create a construction company that's a model of everything else out there, and you just kind of like do what's already done. And like, what's the point of doing something that's already been done? So like, you know, something like Plan Grid. Like, I don't actually know their backgrounds, but like, I can't imagine they were like doing construction for twenty years before they, they started Plan Grid. So you still have to be an outsider, but you can't be too much of an outsider because if you're too much of an outsider, you're solving problems that like no one actually has or perceived problems from the outside, and like. I don't know, like, I think the healthcare industry is very messed up, but I 100% doubt that anything I were to do in the healthcare industry, like, would not be solving the actual problem, most likely, because I actually don't know what the problem is, necessarily. So, so do you, would you say that in order to build a good product or a company around it, you have to sort of build it for yourself first? So you that's understand the problem? Like, yeah, but that's hard, because, like, okay, so that being said, like, most startups, so read me is caters to developers, like other developers. Like you mentioned, like, you know, the restaurant thing, your dad owned a restaurant. So like, that's not for yourself, but like, it's for someone you know really closely. But like, outside of that, it's like tough though. Cause like, it's different skill sets. Like to your point, it's like not many people, and there are a few, but not many people like work at a restaurant for 20 years and then decide to create a startup out of it. Like that's a really tough jump as well. So like, I don't know, like I imagine most startups, like if you were to look at the people's backgrounds, I'm trying to think like off the top of my head, like some like big startups, like, Sometimes, sure, but like for the most, I mean, I do think that's why there's a lot of dev tools now. I do think that's why there's a lot of like, I mean, there's like a gigantic sector. It's like there's tons of startups for like salespeople. So it's like CRMs, all flavors of CRMs, all flavors of like that. It's like, okay, I imagine 80% of those people who started them or 90% were like salespeople who are like, this, the current situation sucks. Like I can do my own. Or like, you know, tools for marketers or HubSpot and stuff like that. And like there's just so many like tools out there that definitely are building for yourself. But like once you get out of there, like, it, I feel like very like maybe there's a co-founder or something that like did it or whatever but I don't know I think that's like I don't think it's bad advice to build something for yourself but I think it's like I don't think it's the full picture like I don't think it's because I think you know again like you can build a dev tool right now and you should because it's a great market and I love it but it's like everyone's like that's every, what everyone's doing like if you really want to make a ton of money like go find like this industry that you've never heard of and like build something for it I guess and, like so I don't think it's like I don't think there's advice either way I think like both arguments work what, really well what, what's the flexport get Ryan Peters Pe- Patterson yeah something like that I find that to be interesting because he he started like companies before right and then he decided to go work for like in the cargo ship industry 
I am so out of my league at talking about this. Uh, but. I only know about this from like like startup school or something when he was talking about it. But I thought that was interesting. Like it was like the amount of paperwork and all that stuff. And now they're huge. Yeah. So I, that, but I, I yeah I don't know. How do you know, like what you can start? What like what do you look? What are the indicators that you would look for? Like if you were to start another company now, mm-hmm. not readme, mm-hmm. not let's say not like dev tool. Yeah. What like what would you do? And how would you like identify what to do if you don't know what to do? Yeah, I think about this a lot. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking like, well, daydream my next startup because what I actually daydream about is because you did the escape room thing. Oh yeah, I mean, so that's what I think about a lot. It's like, let's say whatever for whatever reason I leave Read Me tomorrow, I know exactly what I'm doing, which is so I built an escape room. This is not a nuts, but I'm here. But but if I were to leave tomorrow, like I wouldn't want to do another like venture back company right away. Like I just love the escape room because I built an escape room four years ago or so, four or five years ago. And with my company, we've done a bunch of escape rooms. And I just like really fell in love with not escape rooms, but this concept of like physical in-person. There's a few things I really loved about it. One was that it's not competitive in the sense that you're not competing against each other. You're comp- working together to compete against like something together. And I, I like that so much more. Like, I don't know if you are, but I'm not, I think you are, but I'm not a competitive person. Like I don't care about like, you know, bowling. Cause like, if I win, I don't care. And if I Wait. lose, I don't care. So for, hold on a second. The, the first thing you went to was bowling. bowling. Yeah. yeah. No, bowling because like it's, a, it's like a team bonding thing. It's like okay. you don't like, you know, I know that there's other sports out there than bowling, but like it's like, okay, like let's go do something that's, oh, okay, so let me take a step back. I think like most team events just are drinking and like I don't mind drinking at all, but it's like, it's not very inclusive. It's not, it's just like, it's just like, it's not an activity. It's like a lack of activity almost and stuff like that so it's like okay what do we want to do instead of bowling it's like or sorry instead of drinking it's like we can go bowling we could like i don't know what else you got like well i know where you're going with this yeah and i feel the exact same way yeah. and this is also not just team events yeah but conference events conference events every dates, anything like that like last night i went to one of the happy hours yeah and it's they're the same every conference i've mm-hmm. ever gone to you go and, and they're fun mm-hmm. but to an extent right they're loud you can it's hard to hear each other there's just alcohol mm-hmm. which isn't like you know, it is what it is. And then that's really it. Like they're all kind of the same thing, just with different people. Mm-hmm. And like, I-, I wish there was something more there. Yeah. So that's why I love escape rooms. Cause like, it was like an activity where like, cause there's like, it's an activity where like you have to like work together and it mixes you up and it's, but you're not competing against each other. Like no one gets their feelings hurt cause you're all working together or maybe you all, but you all get feelings hurt together. It's not that bad if you lose together. So I got really into like the, the social dynamics of like an escape room and stuff like that. And so I started getting bored of going to them because like once you've done like 10 of them, it's like, okay, I kind of get like, you're like, okay, I get like how this all works. And like, you kind of like, they're not, not fun, but like, and also like, as I was getting into them, like there was a, the quality started to go down because like there's an explosion of them. So like some would be really good and some would be really crappy. But I got really interested in like this concept of all of them. And I was like, I'm going to build an escape room. So I started just kind of like doing it in my, in my, not really. Okay. So let me put it for you. I didn't like sit down like this and be like, I'm going to start an escape room. I was like, I was like, I had this idea. I was like, I love it for team bonding events. Like what if it was like an escape room where it was like, you have one hour to launch your startups. So, like you have like a million dollars and like instead of an hour, it's, it's an hour, but like you watch your bank account go down you have one hour to launch your startup. So I was like, I'm going to call it startup escape. And like. I would like do escape rooms. I'd be like, oh, like I could see how that would be. Like I could like take this and like do a take on this. And, like I started like designing in my head. I wasn't like trying to start anything because I had read me. And uh, one day I got to the point where I was like, I just really want to build this now. Like I, I just like because I don't know. I've, I've never really been able to kind of articulate this, but I'm sure you'll feel the same way. It's like every amazing thing that has ever happened happened because someone just like did something that was like very like like had a like like just something like like out of the they did they woke up and they did something different that day right like maybe it's like you know you know you're married I don't know like I don't actually don't know how I met wife but like I'm sure I did at some point but like you did something different that day I'm sure or you asked her out at least or you did something like there was like a you made a jump and like now your life is completely different or like with read me it's like again it's not a big deal it's not like I like woke up one day and I was like oh, I'm gonna start reading me it was like I just chose instead of doing something else to do this and then I did more of it. And like, it was a, it wasn't a conscious decision, but it was like, I didn't just exist and I didn't just like get up, go to work, grab dinner, go to bed. Like I like did something different and like I brought up like marriage cause like, I think it's just everything in your life. Like very rarely do things just happen. Like it's, it's not even intentional necessarily. It's not like you like wake up and like, I'm going to get married. I'm going to meet the person I'm going to get married to today. It's like, you just do something that's like a little out of the ordinary. And like it's for the escape room, it's like, Everyone can like, everyone has an idea, obviously. Like everyone has startup ideas or company ideas or ideas for a TV show and stuff like that. But it's like, okay. But like the ones that got made, it was because like someone sat down, wrote the screenplay and like mailed it in or something like that. And it's like, it doesn't seem like much, but it's huge to actually like do it. And like people just don't, myself included, like 
for every one thing I do, there's 2,000 things I don't do. And I'm like, I should have gone there that time, but I didn't. And like, or I should have like, you know, made this happen. So anyway, so I got to like, I got to this point where I was like, I just hate thinking about stuff. And I just want to do something. So I was like, I'm going to rent a place. So I rented a place in San Francisco and I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. Cause like, I don't know. I could be sitting on this podcast too and being like, I had this idea for an escape room and it was really cool. And you guys, you know, someday I'll build it. And like, that's cool to talk about too, I guess. But like that jump to actually like do it is like, I think everyone in their lives has done something like move to a new city or, you know, drop out of college or go to college or, um, you know, it's so easy just to sit there and like at your job that you hate every single day. But like, sometimes you're like, you know what, I'm going to go to I don't know where do people go to find jobs. Monster.com or whatever. And you're like, I want to find a new job. And I wouldn't go there. I think everyone uses like LinkedIn now. Sure. I don't know, man. But <laughs> or they just get a bunch of recruiter list. emails. Yeah. I don't think anyone's like looking for jobs in tech. But like, but like as a tech, people are like, you know, how do you jump up? Because like you just one day you're like, I'm going to do this. And like you just got that like that rush of like, because people very few like, again, I don't like Elon at all. But like he does have the sustained, as much as I dislike him, he does have the sustained ability to just make things happen every single minute of every single day. And like half the time it's lighting's on fire and all that. But like, he's kind of interesting where he's always doing something. And I think that's really annoying. And I would hate to be anywhere near him. Cause like, it's like a bowl in a China shop. Cause like all that, but like most people don't have that. Most people have a burst where it's like you, you do something big and then you spend a lot of time like dealing with the good or bad consequences of that. So like you like get up and you're like, I get a new job and you get it. And then you can't just like get a new job two weeks later. Like you're like, okay, now I have to like, you know, you, you go back and down, like your energy kind of goes back down. You're like, you're coasting a little bit, stuff like that. Cause you're tired or, or whatever else. And or you focus on different things or like, you know, your health got bad. So you're like, okay, I'm going to go get healthy again. Stuff like that. But again, that's another thing. It's like, I decided to go to the gym today and like be really like, it's like that, like everyone wants to go to the gym. Everyone wants to be like, you know, gorgeous and healthy, but like you just, it, it's just one day you do it. And it's, I don't know where we're going with all this or where I was going with all this, but like, I do think like it's this thing where it's like that for me, the escape room was like, I was like, I could just like talk about it. Or I could just do it. And like, it wasn't, it's, 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 it's usually like, there's usually like a, a pivot point. And for me, it was like, I actually like found a location, like signed a lease. And like, once I did that, the ball was rolling. Like I couldn't get out of it. It wasn't like I could be like, ah, just kidding. Now I have like a $5,000 lease in the heart of San Francisco that I'm just not going to do anything with for the next two years. So I did that. And I, so I just like, you know, was like, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And then I like had to build the escape room. And it was a ton of fun. Like I had, I think it was like, 7,000 people, a little under 7,000 people went through it in two years. It was, it was awesome. Like, uh, Steph Curry, uh, did my escape room for his 30th birthday. One time I was doing it. And so I am, my current job is CEO of README and I have my laptop and I had a README logo on my, on my laptop and I'm sitting there working at like 7 PM at this, like just job. And someone comes in, like a team comes in and I'm like, Oh, Hey, welcome everyone. I do like the spiel and stuff. Cause like we had someone who ran it, but like um, every once in a while, if they couldn't do it, I would jump in or I like to do it on nights and weekends once in a while. Cause like then I could see what was broken, what was working and I could like make tweaks and stuff like that. And I, I just didn't like, it wasn't, it was something to do. And like, it's pretty easy to job by the way. Like you sit there, you like bring people in, you spend two minutes with the spiel, they go in and then you just have an hour basically where you're like kind of watch them on the screen. You can like mess around do whatever you want. So I do it. And like I have my company read me logo on the, on the thing. And these like, it's like four or five guys come in and they're like, Oh, like, how do you know, read me? And I was like, Oh, I'm, this is weird, but I'm like, it's my company. I'm the founder. And they're like, Oh, we invested in you. And I'm like, cause they're VCs. Like they weren't my partner. So the way VCs from works, there's like a, like a bunch of partners. So you meet like your partner and like a few other people, but like, you don't meet most partners, but they all know about you. And I'm like, Oh, I swear things are going well. This is like, <laughs> this is, and they were totally fine. They loved it. They're like, we need to do a selfie. So like we did a selfie of me and my like, my little like polo shirt that's a startup escape and like all of them. And they sent it to my partner and I was like, this is going to go one of two ways. He's either going to be like cool or he's going to be like, all right. So you're working a, you're working an hourly job now to make ends meet. And, but that was great. So, um, that's hilarious. All right. So we got to wrap up soon. I have a couple questions. Okay. Lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. What do you, tips for managers? <sighs> okay, are you a new manager or not? Let's say you're, it doesn't. Uh, let's say new. Okay. The biggest tip I have. So there's obvious tips, which is like care for your employees, mm-hmm. listen to them, have meetings, stuff like that. I think the biggest tip that I see that I think that is that you have two teams. You have your team and the company. And what I mean by that is it's not that the company matters. Like when I say company, I don't mean like the Delaware C Corp in, you know, on a piece of paper in Delaware where you're like, you're, we're all capitalists all trying to make money. That's not what I mean. It's that the worst thing I think you can do for your team is create an isolated environment where, yeah, sure. You're really good to your team, 
but you know you're kind of hurting your team because you, they don't have the opportunities because it's very isolated and stuff like that. So you need to really care about your team, and that's definitely your number one priority. But like you also have a team of your peers, so other managers, your boss, who maybe you don't like your boss, and that's totally fine. But at the end of the day, you you like you you have to play ball with everyone around you because very rarely, like unless you're like a brilliant team of like you know such high performing jerks that like it works out. Um, it's very easy to create, like, it's a hard balance to create that isolated culture where people, like, feel like they're on a certain team in a larger company, but also get the chances and opportunities, you know, from the rest of the company. So I think it's it's a really hard balance to both, like, care about the people below you, which everyone should do, but also make sure that you care about, like, the people to your side so that you're not too isolated and you're not creating this, like, weird island at a company because, like... I don't know, if you work at a company where, like, there's, like, a team that's kind of an island, and it's, like, nothing gets in, nothing gets out, and it's, like, I don't know what to do here. This, by the way, if anyone's listening that works at Readme, I'm not talking from experience at Readme, just, like, in my past, like, at Mozilla and stuff like that. I, I used to see, like, just different teams would be, like, very isolated, and it's, like, the, the manager's job is to protect people, but not protect them too much, because you still need, like, that in and out. Like, it can't just be a, like, like a, like a, like a, what's the word I look for? Like a sealed, like, thing, because that's not how companies work. Like, even if, and I you know, I'm not a huge fan of capitalism per se, but like even if you're like, I don't care about like capitalism and the company making money, like all that, like you still kind of have to care about the other people in the company and like, you know, be a good place to work or a good team to work with. So that's my answer. Okay. Do you think you, if you're going into com- like a computer science or programming or a technical field, do you think you need to go to college? No, but you can't, I'm, you can't expect someone to teach you how to program. I don't think that you can be taught how to program. I think you have to learn how to program. And I don't know exactly how to describe that, but like, you can spend, like, you and I took the exact same classes we went to college together if you didn't get that. And, like, there are people who sat in the exact same classes that we did every single day and, like, gun to their head, couldn't write a line of code right now. Because, like, yeah. it's one of those things where, like, yeah, could you, like, can you pick up some stuff? Sure. But, like, the problem with programming, so when we did programming, it was not a lucrative career. Like, it was, it was fine. Like, none of us were worried about it. But, like, it wasn't like, you know, Silicon Valley wasn't what it is now. When we started in 2000, you were 2007, I was 2006, maybe. You were a little bit later. But, yeah. And, like, it wasn't a lucrative career necessarily. And, like, by the time we, like, graduated, it was, like, a lot better. And, like, things were pretty good. But, like, the reason I made that was, like, you can't, but, like, you can't just sit, like, there's other careers to get into if you kind of want to be taught and, like, learn and stuff like that. Like, you have to like to program, I think. Like, I'm not saying you have to do it on nights and weekends, every night and weekend. But you kind of have to, especially early on. You have to build stuff. You have to make stuff. You have to try stuff. Like, I don't believe that whether it's a dev boot camp. And dev boot camps are really cool because they actually make you do projects. Like, they, they, they know that and they force that. Whereas, like, in school, they don't really. Like, it's like, we did projects, but it was, like, homework. Whereas, like, but you just have to, like, you have to commit to liking it and to doing it on nights and weekends or in your own time and to really like it because, like, otherwise it's an uphill battle because, like, Programming is not fun to do. I love it more than anything. It's fun for me. It's relaxing. But like, if you don't like it, it's not fun. I don't think. Yeah. And you have to like. Be, I think you just have to commit. So I don't think it matters if you like teach yourself. Or you go to classes. I do think classes are nice because like, there's just a world of stuff. Like you need someone who's smarter than you to like tell you what to do. And like a mentor would be great. But like people don't have the ability to mentor. It's like really hard to be a mentor. So like, you know, dev bootcamp is basically you're paying for a mentor almost. So I think the answer is definitely no. And if I didn't go to college at all, I think I would have totally been fine because like I learned how to program my own. But like. I think you need to want to program. And if you don't, there's a ton of other really phenomenal careers out there that you're going to have a lot less of an uphill battle on. I think at RIT, there was a lot of people who were like sort of self-taught before they came. Yeah. That was my feeling. Yep. Yeah. And I don't, some of the best programmers I know, by the way, went to college and, you know, learned on like, learned like their first line of code they ever wrote was in a class and they're phenomenal. Like that doesn't mean that if you didn't know how to program before. Yeah. But you have to like it. You have to like be curious. You have to like want to learn. Like, there, no matter how good the teacher is, there's only so much that you will get out of that teacher. Like, you need to be the one. Like, not forever. Like, I haven't. I don't read blog posts or anything like that anymore. But like, you have to like be curious. And like, you know, I'm trying to think like because I can't even give like prescribed stuff. Because like, anytime I say anything, it's like, okay, go to this website. Like, that's not what I mean. Like, you just have to like be like, I wonder if I could fix that and do it. Like, you have to have that mindset of like, I'm gonna solve it. And then, like, and like, just brute force your way through it, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time, which is really tough. Um, well, just to add to that, a lot of the, a lot of really good programmers that I know mm-hmm. didn't study computer science or anything. Yeah. They got into programming after. They were like yeah. architects before or whatever. Yep. You know, like they're like, I want to be an architect or yep. I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. And then they like, got into coding. They're like, I love this. Yeah, and they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Pineapple on pizza. Yeah, yeah, not not a top ten choice, but like, I like it. You're okay with it? Yeah. Okay. You can't go to Italy now. That's okay. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I don't love it, but like, I like it. Like, I don't like it. I'll eat it. Like, I'm very happy to eat it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a picky person. Yeah. Okay. What are you most excited about? Now I'm getting hungry because of that question. So I think I'm going to order pineapple pizza after this. What am I most excited about? Okay. I know, this is a very tech answer. Also, like if you're watching the video, it's gotten increasingly dark. We're just sitting in the dark at this point. But there's a lot of things I'm excited about. Because I mentioned before about the curiosity. Like that's my favorite quality in people and in myself is just like the ability to like just constantly be excited about stuff. And for me, this is a very tech one. I started reading me seven or eight years ago. I picked like Angular 1.2 because it was, you know, React wasn't quite where I, I didn't, whatever, it doesn't really matter why, but like Webpack, uh, it was really hard to like get React set up because like Webpack was like, if it existed, it wasn't very good. It's still not very good, but like it was just tough to get it all set up. So I, I went with Angular and it was the biggest mistake of my life probably. But So I started writing code. So then I got to this like rut where I was like, do you remember like when we were in school? I know these are lightning rounds, but I'm going along. You can edit this later. But you know, in, you know in school where like you'd meet someone. I don't someone, think I can make you talk any faster. <laughs> All right, so you know in school you're meeting someone. Uh, you, Take it easy, Eminem. You know in school when you'd meet someone who was like really old, like they were like thirty. You know, we were like in school, and like they're like they're like still using like an old Java framework. And you're like, I'll never be like that. I'll never get lazy and like stop learning. And then like now I'm still using like tech from like ten years ago. I'm still like using Express and like the exact same like setup that I used. Is Express no longer cool? Like what? No, God, no. I mean, I still like it. I still use it for stuff, but like I kind of like jQuery. I use J. I still use jQuery for everything. Really. Like, Love jQuery, but that's not the point. Um, Does John Resig still use jQuery? No, of course <laughs> not. So where I'm going with this is like I, my basically without talking about specific technologies, I feel like my like that I when I wanted to write code, I didn't want to learn anymore. I just wanted to like use my tech stack I knew and just be comfortable. And like I did that for like three, four, five years, past three, four, five years. And like just recently, I've kind of flipped. I'm like, okay, I want to like try new stuff because like when you're just trying to get something done, you don't want to learn new technology at the same time. And now I'm like, okay, I want to like get, learn new technology. And I, I've started using like Next and like, it's just a breath of fresh air. Like there's some stuff I don't like about it. I can complain, but it's like, okay, it's such a nice time to be programming. It's just like, for the first time ever, using Next is like using a framework that was built by someone who's actually made a website before. Because like, it's like, if you use it, and again, I'm not going to talk trash other stuff, but like you use like, you know, I've been, kids choose my first language. Like a lot of these were like people who like understood computers enough to bridge the gap so a human being can understand it. But like now it's like, but like it always felt like you were like speaking the computer's language. So you're like, you know, like you're trying to do something that's like, oh, well, that's a put or that's a post or that's a get. And it was like, you're like thinking of these like, like how computers think and like you get really good at that, right? At some point. Or like jQuery, while jQuery is great, like jQuery is like, okay, how do I make the DOM, which is, you know, built for computers, easier to use, easier to access? Like, it's like shorthand at the end of the day. Like, and like, then you look at React and it's like, oh, this person like built a lot of websites, whoever, I mean, I'm sorry, but like the people like, you know, working on Next, like, it's like this person like built a lot of websites and when they sat down, they weren't like, this is where I go back to like the, the ignorance, like the intentional ignorance is like, it's like, okay, they built something that was, you know, made for people who make websites. The one that I love, and this is very controversial here at README, like people like, this is probably the closest thing to a fight. Pineapple pizza, this is the pineapple pizza of, of web dev is Tailwind. I love Tailwind. Tailwind, like... I love it. It's it's, it's delightful. And I, some people hate it, some people love it. But like, again, that's the, like, the, like, nothing about Tailwind should work. Because when I first saw Tailwind, I was like, this is the worst. It's like CSS inside HTML, like... It's 47 style, or classes. Yeah, and like, this is horrible. But like it's delightful and I love it more than anything. Like it just it's so nice. And like would I build a full site with it? I don't know. But would I build a like a marketing site or would I build like, you know, most of my projects now? Like now I go back to writing old CSS and I'm like, I hate this. Like I just miss tail. I just want to like be able to write my little classes. Yeah. See, I've I've I, there's like this there's like this this bell curve. Mm -hmm. And there's like there's like a meme associated with yeah, it. It's like I it's like you know, hoodie hoodie programmer yeah. and at the bottom at the beginning, and then hoodie programmer at the end, and then there's like all yeah. this stuff happening at the top. And I was stuck at the top for so many things. Like, yeah. you spend so much time contemplating what do I use to build this? What do I do this? This this that and the other thing. And it's like this easy thing. All the complex things, like oh, this one's faster. It's mm -hmm. like better. You know, whatever, more efficient. You know. And then there's like back to originally like the easy thing, and that's mm -hmm. like the master programmer. And I feel like, I you know, if you look at the top apps in the app store, for example, mm -hmm. and all my iOS like developer friends are going to hate me saying this, but I think it's true. Most of them aren't actually native. Yeah. No one, no one who's rating at five stars cares if your app is native or not. They care yeah. if it solves the problem for you. Yep. And that's all they care about. Mm -hmm. And I started personally, like I went through that like journey of like, Oh, I got to build all this stuff like the hard, the hard way because it's better. But it, 
but it like didn't make me feel better. It actually made me feel like more stressed and worse. And I act and you know, building this stuff, even if it is old tech or if it's, you know, sort of like boring tech or whatever, if it works and it's easy and to have a good developer experience, like I'm all for it. Cause no one at the end of the day is going to care. Like no one cares that GitHub is written in Ruby on rails unless you work on it. Mm. Right. It's huge. Or unless you're a hacker trying to like overload methods. Okay, maybe, sure, yeah. sure, sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like nobody cares what your thing is written in. Yeah. All they care is like, does it solve the problem for them? Does it like make their life better? That's it. So my advice, I guess, if this is advice is don't get stuck in that sort of like the paradox of choice of what do I need to use? Just like, just, just build stuff, right? Build stuff that solves problems. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like, so like for a while, like to your point, like whenever I'd be like, what's your favorite language? I'd be like right tool for the right job. And now it's like, everything's turning complete. Like I'm just going to use whatever simple, like why I try to like spin up like, you know, 18 different things that like to get things right. Cause like it's, it's, it goes out of it. And like, that's a tough thing to say though. Cause like at the same time though, I don't think you should be like, you know, SSHing into your FTP server in order to upload your PHP files. Like if you're using modern day PHP, it's, I've heard it's pretty good at this point, but like there is like, there is something to be said too for like, you know, keeping up a little bit because it's like, you still have to maintain it. Yes. You, like, so there's like stuff like that too. It's so, like, I think there's a distinction between you're not saying you're not a luddite. You're not saying, you know, I learned PHP back in 2007 and I am doing that till the day I die. No, I'm not saying that. You're saying that like you're saying that like, you know, you also don't have to like always be chasing the cool stuff. Like, I think like what I'm really excited about. So to answer like tell the question, like what I'm really excited about is like, I think we've gotten to this point where like there's always that like you know like the like any sort of like like innovation stuff like that. But like, any sort of like or like the like adoption. What's the like the luddite? The no, it's the laggard. Like, what's that? thing yeah um, uh, you mean across like the uh, chasm across the no we're just like saying buzzwords at this point but it's like yeah you want more buzzwords <laughs> but, but like it's basically like the, the way people adopt stuff like there's something really fun there's like early there. adopters early adopters laggards is the end yeah but whatever so i forget the graph but like matt's going to buzz in here with a post-recorded thing where he says what this is called this this thing i'm trying to think <laughs> of but yeah so but i think there's like there's something kind of cool about watching that like that fighting because like will tailwind be what we're writing in five years i have genuinely no clue but like whatever it is we'll have learned something from it i do that's kind of cool yes. it's like I do, i'm not saying that i would start my new startup with the coolest of new technologies but like on the side it's fun to like spin something up and play with it and like you know yeah not say what i like and don't like because like that dislike of stuff like also informs like very few people do something that's kind of semi-popular without there being a threat of something interesting in it. And ultimately what happens is the trade-offs become too much. So like Angular 1.2, I complained about it before. Angular 1.2 was phenomenal because all of a sudden, like, you know, it it was it, like, it, it just flipped how I thought about programming completely. Like jQuery was like, you were like constantly modifying the DOM and like, it was like HTML all of a sudden became like a, like a programming language almost. Like, I loved it. And like, there's something really beautiful about that. Now the problem was that the trade-off was that the maintainability was too hard. Like you never knew where variables coming from. It was slow. Like there's like 50 things that were wrong with it. But like, there's something so fascinating with the way it flipped how I looked at everything. Cause at the end of the way, this is gonna be really nuanced, bear with me, probably not for the end of the podcast, but like there's this concept of Turing completeness. Turing completeness is basically, if a language is Turing complete, to like really kind of simplify it, it's that it can basically do anything that any other programming language can do. Like if it's Turing complete, it means that, you know, it all gets compiled down to binary and like any Turing complete language can technically do anything that any other Turing complete language can do to kind of like simplify and boil it down. So at the end of the day, whether you're writing Angular, I'm writing Java, you're writing PHP, whatever, like it all just, you know, boils down to zeros and ones. You can do everything with each language. It's just harder to do some things, a lot harder, almost impossible because like, you know, there's like other stuff like, you know, you can't load PHP on an iPhone like that. There's like stuff like that, but you could because it's all running, like it's all, it, you could. And when I'm going with this, like you're, you can do anything with anything. It's just, it's more of like the UI, the DX on top of like what's easy and like what's, you know, easy to do and what's harder to do. And like, what are you fighting against and stuff like that? And like, there's something kind of nice about realizing like any technology you pick, you can do anything you want. You just want to like, you know, kind of like find that perspective where like, you know, PHP and JavaScript, if you were to like see the compiled code, you couldn't tell me which one was which because no one could. Like, I mean, you could, but like you couldn't tell me by just looking at it. It's just zeros and ones. And there's no way to really know. It's like the server doesn't care. The server has no clue what language you're building with. And like, again, they definitely, like, and we're so, we're stacking things on top of things on top of things. Like if you're doing, you know, React, you're doing React compiles into, you know, TypeScript compiles, J, J, JSX, that all compiles into JavaScript, which is compiled into like, and just, I don't even know at this point, like what it compiles into because like different runtimes, different stuff. And like, it's, it's so fascinating to me, like, it's, it is, like, 
ergonomical. It's not just, you know, you can do anything. It's not like they're inventing new stuff at this point. Like everything you can do has been kind of invented. It's just like, how do you make it easier to do? Like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like this is like a weird way to like end this argument, but like uh, Matt's my new office right now. We've been in this office for like three years and like we had another office that was like downstairs and right around the corner. So it's like the same city block just like around. And like when we moved offices, my like experience was so different. Like we're still within walking distance of almost the same stuff, but like my perspective just shifted on like, oh, okay, like I didn't notice this restaurant over here or like this restaurant's easier, or like this coffee shop's easier to get to because I don't have to cross the street here and stuff like that. And like, it just, even though I like didn't go very far, it like completely changed how I think about stuff. And I feel like that's what programming languages can be like. It's like, when you do the same stuff, but you get a different perspective. And like all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's easy to do because like I can do it now and stuff like that. So uh, that's my long rambly answer so, to this. So programming languages are like literally are, offices. I don't know what the question so was at the beginning. The but, yeah. It was what are you excited about? <laughs> <laughs> I am excited about, I'm excited to make websites now. Like, because it's just a great time to be starting something. Like it's a great time to start a new project because like next is so good and it's just getting better. Um, Have you tried Remix? No, but uh, did you did you say it? Because like when I walked in here, everyone outside was looking at Remix on their web on their computers. Oh, I I've I've rebuilt Pickle and Remix. I've been using it a lot. I really? love it. Nice. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I don't really care if it's Next. It doesn't have to be Next. Like Next is just one of. Me- and again, I don't think I don't want to like say Next is not going to be around in five years. But like statistically speaking, it's not. What from five years ago? Like, are we still really like loving? Not use, using sure, but like loving. What that has? What has JavaScript in it that's still around from five years ago? <laughs> New thing.js. I mean, I still use stuff from five years ago, but I'm not the best, best example. But no, um, but you know what I'm saying. Like, there's a new thing. There's a new cool thing every all all the time. So I'm just really excited about this like paradigm where like like building tools for like just like this new layer of like DX on top of stuff gets me really yeah. excited. I think whatever that means, like this new way of thinking about stuff. It's developer experience. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that was, I don't know if you just wanted me to say like there's a new coffee shop that I like or something like that, but oh, I'm, I don't think I've got that like burst again where I'm like back to like learning new stuff and like, I'm like, this is such a great time to be learning new stuff. I don't think you should stop learning stuff. Agreed. But I think like the, the web dev, like the web world over the past five years, like, do you remember those like memes from like five years ago? Like this is how you get started with JavaScript. And it's like, you have to compile through Babel, ESL and like, there's so many stuff and like <clears throat> that sucked. But it pushed everything forward where like things happened. JavaScript got better, TypeScript got better, Next became a thing. Like so much thing like React got better. Like React was not great when it started. It wasn't bad. There's like cool ideas in it. But like Angular and React in my mind were pretty similar as far as having cool ideas. But like one built and iterated and like did something really cool out of it. And like my point there is like, you know, you should never stop learning. But like sometimes it's it's sometimes like I think web dev, I think like programming in general, like goes back and forth as a pendulum like it goes like you know very liberal like it's it's you know it doesn't compile like just on the fly everything's magical and all that and then it gets hardened and hardened and hardened as people like add like layer like typescript on top of javascript or like ruby was also like that like pendulum shift to the, like the like you can just do everything it's all magical but then it's like okay well okay we can't be that magical because like there's security concerns you can't be that magical because speed you can't like and they start like tighten things up and then like the pendulum swings again and like it's we're at that swinging of the pendulum where it's like, oh, now it's really cool. Like now it's in a really good spot. And then what's going to happen is like this will happen for new for me years, and like someone will come up with something like brand new. But like we've taken JavaScript, which has been around forever, but like JavaScript's become popular maybe like ten years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago. It started to be like get a little bit of respect because like it got people started like rapidly iterating on it, and now it's got to a really good point. And it's going to keep going that way, but eventually it's going to go too far. And someone's going to come along and start from scratch again and be like, this is amazing. It's a new language you've never heard of. And it's really simple and friendly and fun. And now like, I use Rust. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, it could be Rust, but I don't know. That's a, that's very high level. I don't really, I could go like more in depth with my like thoughts on all tech, but like, I think it's a pendulum and like, we're in this really good spot of the pendulum and it's going to get worse at some point and it's going to get better again. Then it's going to get worse again. It's going to get better. Like I thought like the jQuery days was like, that was, you know, great. That was like peak web dev. Because like things were really nice and all it all worked. It's like all these like random ideas came together and started to work. Like not just jQuery, but like everything. Like PHP got better. Like it just worked. And then like it got worse and worse. And then like Ruby came along and changed how people thought about stuff. Like then Express and Node came along and changed how people thought. And, like just like it's every few years like it it, it just hits this point where everything kind of comes together and feels really really great. And I think we're in that spot right now. All right. How do we wrap this up? I don't know. You probably could just cut there. No, no. Final question? Final question. What startup are you really excited about? Or what company, new product, new feature that's not yours? Something new that's out there that you're really excited about? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be tech. I know. 
It can be like a new shoe company or something. Oh, I don't know if it's, so this is, I'm only saying this because like just, I was just thinking it was like five minutes ago. There's like a new breed of software that I really love. Like Superhuman might've been like the first in this, but like I think Raycast is one of the best apps I've ever used. And then Linear is the other one. Like those two, like they're very like, they're creating like new like type of software and like they're informed by other software like it's not like they like came out of nowhere and like you know build software like out of nowhere but like and i'll you know i'll probably get bored of it because like linear and superhuman and raycast like they all kind of look the same and it's like okay like at some point it's gonna go out of, out of vogue a little bit but like I, it's just like they're different enough from like previous stuff and like i just they iterate what, quickly what is it in less than 60 seconds what is it that you like about them that makes them different is it that they you know, I know, that, yep. I know a lot of them are supposed to be fast and help yep. you like optimize your workflow. Yep. They're fast, they're opinionated, and they were built by people who really understood how people were doing. So same as like I said about Next. Like it's like, yeah. it's 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 clearly built by someone who, to your point, uses the product and is like building it for themselves. And not just for themselves, but like building it for someone with the exact same use case they do, realizing that most people have the same use case. And it's just, again, it's just, there's really nice software out there today. And I just am really excited that I get to use a lot of this nice, a lot of this nice software day to day. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for, thanks for being on the, the podcast again. Definitely. Uh, I'll see you in any, sh any shout outs you want to do? No, I got no shout outs, okay. but I'm always in. So in a year, two years, whatever, where, uh, where can people follow you? Are you on Twitter still? I am on Twitter for now, as long as the solvent today that he's like, it's micro bankrupt next week. It's oh, like, okay, okay. Cool. But twitter.com, that's T-W-I-T-T-E-R.com slash no, G Koberger, G-K-O-B-E-R-G-E-R. -E -E cool. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. All right. Thanks, man. See ya.